We'll wait a couple more seconds for our kids to go down and enter children's church and learn wonderful things down there. Um, it feels like it's been a while since I've had the opportunity to speak. I think it's, I looked through my notes yesterday. It's actually been a year. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's been a year, but it's been a year. Um, but I thank God for the opportunity to be able to come and um, just share what I believe he's been speaking to me over these past few weeks. Um, it's an awesome opportunity. If you're new here, um, my name is Aaron Maines. I'm not the pastor of this church, Jay Frank is, but uh, part of Jay's vision is that he's an equipper by nature, which means he wants to see the body of Christ, this church, build up um, in ways where we see kind of like desire and gifting put out. Um, so Jay's actually been given uh, an awesome opportunity to me and to several others to come up and uh, share God's word with you, and that's what we're here to do today. Um, so this is our family gathering. Welcome to our family gathering. <laughs> Good morning. That's what I should say. I'm trying to get some sort of response, and I think I'm... Maybe my beard is hitting the mic. Is that what's happening? Yes? I can't move around as much. Um, not going to work. Yeah. I'll try to slow my body movements down. So we've been in a series now. Um, it's going to take in total 13 weeks. I'm not sure how long we've been in it now, but I think it's we're about three weeks to the close. So I guess... This might be week 9 or 10. And the series we're in is called True and Better. And what we're doing is we're looking at um, 13 characters in the Old Testament. And we're looking at these characters and seeing that the Old Testament is not just a bunch of different books written by different people that are disjointed moral tales. But it's actually one cohesive story of God where God is telling one main story through these characters, and that is the story of Jesus. That is the story of the Messiah. That is the story of God looking on his creation after the fall, after creation has gone wrong and awry, and saying, I have a plan for that. In the Old Testament, there's a thread that is woven through about the promised one who is to come, the Messiah. God's chosen one, the Lamb of God that would come and usher in a new kingdom onto earth that is not filled with brokenness, decay, that's not filled with hurt, pain, sorrow, sickness, death. And the way that God does that through the Bible is amazing. And we're kind of seeing all these characters and how they represent Christ, but how they're just kind of like a dim view of Christ, and Christ is the truer and better version of every one of these characters. So today, um, we're going to talk about Elijah. Um, And before we do that, we're going to go back one week to last week, Pete shared, and it was an amazing, amazing time, amazing sermon. If you haven't listened to it, we have an online section of our church website where sermons are cataloged. You can go back and listen to them from a couple years. I would encourage you to listen to last week on Solomon. It was a rich time learning about Solomon and his wisdom and God's, God's pouring into Solomon and how that started, how that 
was a beautiful thing, right? Solomon built the temple, the temple of God, the place where God's spirit dwelled before his Holy Spirit came to earth. And then about how God had commanded certain things um, that were meant to protect and bless his people and about how Solomon didn't really listen to those commands but thought he could kind of like figure out what is better and how that started to change and obscure and divide the kingdom. So the big idea from last week was that King Solomon established a magnificent earthly kingdom. Okay? But it proved to be broken and futile and that Jesus is the coming king who establishes the kingdom that can never be destroyed where God reigns forever. And that's an important place where we pick up today. How many people here are history buffs, like history? Okay, I'm not. But I'm not, that's awesome that you guys like that because we need people who are history history buffs to remind us of where we've been to inform us of how to make decisions for where we're going. Amen. <laughs> so this, oh man, I'm, it's, it's me. It's me, yep. Should I unplug? Nothing to see. I'm just going to keep talking, pretend like nothing's happening. <laughs> Dan's going to fix my microphone. <laughs> I do. Oh, check this out. It can't be possible that this is now. I don't play the harmonica. I mean, I do. That's usually like when somebody's like, no, go ahead. Like, no, 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 no. Okay. And then I don't play. But um, we're totally off track now, completely off track. But I find something very um, soothing about the harmonica, because you breathe through it. And I, I pray that this would be true of this sermon today. Like, sometimes when like, anxiety takes over, the, the effect of breathing, like such a simple thing, to be able to breathe in and breathe out is a powerful thing, right? Has anybody ever had a panic attack? People are like, I don't want to. I've had panic attacks. It's okay. Um, what do they say to do when you have a panic attack? Breathe. And sometimes they say to do it in a paper bag, right? Doctors might know more about this or psychologists or counselors, but I think the, the effect of actually watching the bag inflate and deflate helps to calm. It might be the carbon dioxide and that it, like, whatever. But back to Solomon. So we're talking about Elijah. Elijah is a prophet, okay? And there was a prayer that Solomon prayed when he dedicated the temple of God. And I want to read that for you. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you. 
This is a portion of the prayer. just want you to know the prayer is longer. Because your people have sinned against you. And when they pray towards this place and give praise to your name. And turn from their sin because you have afflicted them. Then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live. And send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. That's really powerful. That's really poignant. And you're going to see today that that sounds like a simple prayer, right? People turn their hearts from God. Israel did it. We do it. It's happened since the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve. That is our M-O, our D-N-A. Is that we are constantly shifting away from living in the light of God and instead living in the light of what we are worshiping or what we believe to be good. We believe something to be better than God. And this prayer, I just want you to remember that, okay? Remember that prayer today. And we're going to pray right now. Father, we just want to still our hearts. God, we want to still our hearts. So that we can hear the still small voice of your spirit. God, I I want to still my heart so that I can hear the still small voice of your spirit today, God. We don't want to go anywhere from your spirit. Father, you're good. You're loving. You're gracious. You're merciful. All praise goes to your name. In your name alone. The message we preach today that I preach, God, is in the name of Jesus and no other name. Lord, I pray that you would have your way with us. Have your way with me. Have your way in this room. Lord, we enter with worry in our hearts, with situations on our mind, with hurt. Sometimes at the forefront, God, sometimes buried deep. God, you see, you know, you, you see the condition of our hearts, God, and your heart is always loving and drawing us closer to you, to the, pl- to the place where there is no brokenness, to the place where every hurt meets the voice of the Father, Saying, my child, I love you. Nothing is wasted, God. No hurt is wasted. Lord, we want you to come here today and release people from bondages. You want that, God. We want you to come today and birth new life, God. Pour your spirit on this place that we would not be the same. The message of the gospel is too amazing for us to hear it 
and to leave unaffected. So that's a work of the Spirit, God. The Spirit blows like the wind. We don't know where it comes from or where it goes, God, but you draw people by your Spirit and you speak to them, God. So you speak to us today. We pray that and ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I thought it was going to be a lot closer to the podium. Um, (laughs) That was interesting. Okay, so we're still kind of on the topic of history. Um, So the kingdom, I'm sorry, the nation of Israel was united under David and under Solomon. Solomon disobeyed God. God said, don't don't take all these wives. Don't take all these wives from foreign nations, lest they turn your heart towards the God that they serve, idols, and your heart be turned away from God. Solomon didn't listen to that. And then God's word came to Solomon and said, for the sake of your father David, the kingdom will remain united under you, but under your son it will be divided. This is where we are today. Not only in the text that we're studying, but if you look around at the world today and the nation that we live in, we do not live in a united nation. We live in a divided nation. And I'm not, I don't like politics. That's not what I'm here for. But you can't miss it. You can't miss it. So we see that God's spirit is working and present even in places where we see division. Even in places where we might not see his spirit working, he's working. So prior to Elijah being introduced in 1 Kings, we see in 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 to 17, and I'm going to kind of summarize this, the death of a king and another king coming into power. So Omri died, and his son Ahab came into power over the northern tribes of Israel. At the time, Israel was a divided kingdom. The southern kingdom, Judah, composed of two tribes, and the northern kingdom of Israel composed of ten tribes. Elijah is introduced in the midst of a divided and broken kingdom. King after king, the nation grows more wicked, leaders leading the people in the worship of other gods. God is angry. He's jealous for his people, his children. He raises up and leads prophets to be his voice in a nation who has turned away from his voice and his leading. The nation of Israel goes from good, under Solomon, under David, to bad, to worse. And it is in the worst of conditions that we meet Elijah, that he's introduced. In fact, 1 Kings says that Ahab, this newly reigned king over Israel, 1 Kings 16.30, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. 
he set, an, he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God, the God of Israel, than all the kings of Israel before him. So this is where our character that we're studying today, Elijah, finds himself and God raises him up. We may look at Ahab, we may look at the Israelites, it's easy for us to look and say, like, well, that was, like, way back, like, way back. Um, that's, a, that's not like us, you know, like, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't worship an idol. Like, how silly is that, that you would make something out of wood or out of gold and that you would, like, actually bow to it? That's, that's like, ridiculous. We're more civilized, you know. We, we have education, modern science, modern medicine. We don't do those things, right? So I think sometimes our, it's, we can think that way, that that's, like, foreign, Or is it? Did you ever, in your mind, consider sin trivial? Or have you ever played that mental game where you, you justify or just consider it something small, something light? I know I have, right? And we all do it in different ways. We're all human in that sense. We're all broken. You know, everyone curses. It's only a little lie. You know, I'm just protecting myself. Um, I'm allowed to hate them because of how they treated me or how they're treating me. It's only a little pornography. I'm only a little drunk. You know, I'm just buzzed. It's just a little gossip. You know, I'm, I'm learning about this so that I can pray for them. <laughs> Our hearts are really good. They're really good about making things that are not okay sound okay. So, God has a, a way in his kindness to confront our sin and to confront all sin. We dialogue at this church. We like to leave room for the Spirit of God to teach things that are unplanned and to edify each other. So we're going to dialogue a little bit today. So what are the ways that God confronts sin? Yes! My brother, <laughs> I'm so excited. This is my friend Ty, and I didn't think he was going to be here, but he's here. I just put him on blast. Love this man. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, right? The written word of God, it doesn't change. So God confronts sin through his word. It's in black and white. We can see, and it's like, okay, can't argue with that. Thank you. What are other ways? Because God has other ways to confront our sin. Yes. Yes. How so? Right. Wow. That's a good point. 
It's not just believers who can actually like see and correct or see and rebuke or see and kind of by grace, and sometimes not grace, draw us closer to God. What else? Yeah. Say that, say that again. Like, Well, I'm going to say it because it'll be louder. But I want everybody to hear that. Children, right? Children, at a, you know, they don't have a filter. So they will sometimes say things and you're like, oh boy. Um, and that they kind of also just see simply what's wrong, what hurts, you know? It's not complicated. What else? Are there other ways that are coming to mind? James, are you stretching? Wow. I want to share something again a little bit louder so everybody can hear it because it was really powerful. Um, a lot of times we think about our conscience when it, when it speaks to us regarding something we're doing wrong or maybe even prior to, like we're thinking about it. and we're, We see that as like kind of like sometimes a bad thing, but what James was saying is that's actually a gift from God. Like it would be much more dangerous if we did not hear the warning. Right? So we, we can actually praise God that he's given us something we truly don't understand, a conscience. Like, how could you explain that? That there's kind of like a right and wrong. I don't I, I can't explain it. So it's just our conscience. We can just understand we all know it. That's a gift from God. Do you have your hand raised? I'm not sure who. It, James. So people are good about pointing out our missteps, and occasionally that's done in love. But we're all, we're all there. We are all there. But every time we're able to hear it through the message of the gospel, to receive it in love, right? Jesus has that capability. The Holy Spirit has that capability over our heart to take a message that was said one way, to sift through it by his power, not ours, and to kind of hone in on what he wants to change, regardless of how the message was spoken. So praise God. Praise God for that. Yes? Mm. That's true. So sin does bring consequences. And sometimes God's grace, like his most kind, fatherly grace, is to let us just lie in our own stink for a little bit so that we would repent, right? Amen. Mom, Dad, I've been there. They're like, please, we can tell stories, but that's not why we're there. Um, 
So the greater truth is that what we're kind of looking at in different angles is that God, who sees all, knows all, past, present, future, both in what he created, like creation, and in us, he can see everything. He can see our thoughts. He can see the hidden things. Those belong to God. And he loves us. He loves us before we cleaned up our act. He loved us and he loves and he will continue to love. He called you, he called me before we even gave the slightest concern about him, the slightest thought. That's when he called you. So if condemnation is one of the enemy's attack on your life that, is, that holds you down, just know that number one, God is greater than the one who's condemning you, and he's also greater than your heart and my heart. He, and he alone, has the authority to say what is true. And what he says is, Jesus paid for it, confess it to me, and it's clean. As white as snow. We don't have a lot of white snow here for long. It's, it's, it's white right when the snow falls, and then dirt of the road has its way, but imagine just a blanket of snow in Colorado, just as it fell with the sun shining on it. That is you before God because of Jesus. We got to talk about Elijah. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Um, How does God confront Ahab and Israel's sin? And this is the point, right? This is where we bring Elijah into the story. God brings him into the story. He raises up a prophet. Elijah, his name actually means, love this, my God is Yahweh. Elijah, my God is Yahweh. The, the word prophet in the Greek, I'm probably going to mispronounce it, but prophet, prof, declares the mind and message of God, which sometimes predicts the future, foretelling, more commonly, it speaks forth, he, a prophet, speaks forth his message for a particular situation. A prophet, then, is someone inspired by God to foretell or tell forth the word of God. In Hebrew, the word is nabi, which means to bubble forth like a fountain. A fountain just can't help but bubble forth, right? A prophet just can't help to speak what God lays on their heart, because if they don't, Jeremiah, I believe, says that if when I remain silent, your word became like a burning fire in my bones. I couldn't remain silent anymore. His word comes in, it's going to come out. Jonah, look at Jonah, look at the life of Jonah. He refused God, and God said, we can do it that way, but the message I, came, I put in you, the gift and the call is not irrevocable, it's going to come out. And I'm still going to be good. I'm still going to be the good father. Prophets have ears to hear. That's a phrase that Jesus used often when he was teaching. I love that phrase because Jesus always teaches in the most simple way, but is the most profound way to say something. Prophets have ears to hear. We all have ears in this room right now. Does every one of our ears always hear God's message? No. 
we can admit that. The desire of God's heart for us and the burning desire that he puts in our heart today is that our ears would hear what the Spirit says, both in the written word and the Spirit who speaks right here, right now, today. 1 Kings 17.1 Now Elijah, the Tishbite, from Tishba in Gilead, said to Ahab, as the, Lord, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. In other words, you, the king, think you're powerful and in control? You're not. Yahweh is. My God is Yahweh. No rain. Elijah is a Tishbite from Tishba. Tishbite can be translated sojourner, stranger. My God is Yahweh, and I am only traveling through this place. I'm a stranger in a strange land, an alien, different. Prophets are oftentimes that way. Has anyone ever felt like they were different, a stranger? Among people, you can be in a crowd and feel like a stranger. You can be in a crowd and feel ostracized, different. I have. We come to see that Elijah definitely has, and there's another who is to come that also felt that way. You are not alone, feeling foreign in a place in this earth where we live. That feeling does not define you. That is not the reality God speaks of you. Yes, we are sojourners, but when we feel that way, it's evidence that we belong to another place and another king, another kingdom. We praise God for that. In the kingdom of God, the alien, the stranger, is welcome. The sojourner finds a permanent home. God's spirit calls, and they find a home. Elijah demonstrates obedience to God, even if it sounds crazy. After he stands up to a king in the face of the king and says, God is against you and there's not going to be any rain. The word of the Lord, 1 Kings 17, chapter 2, came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine, east of the Jordan. You will find drink from the brook. I have directed the ravens to feed you. That's crazy. I've directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord told him. So what happens next? The brook that he was getting life from dries up. God's voice comes to him again. Go at once to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 12 to 16. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. He goes and sees this widow. I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. If you're Elijah right now, you might be reconsidering God's plan. 
Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me. Make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day that the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. Crazy obedience. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word, the Lord spoke by Elijah. There's a divine connection in here. There's multiple between Elijah and the widow. Between the word that Elijah spoke to a king. That commanded that God would said that there's not going to be any rain. Then Elijah comes under the command that he gave by God to the poorest of the poor, to those without hope, to those on the brink of death. On the brink almost sounds like of suicide. I'm giving up. I don't have anything left, God. I'm going to make this last bit of bread, this last amount of oil, and then we're just going to die. Because that's what they see. The nation had been under a drought. Elijah's the one that called the drought. Yet God asks him to go to those under the curse that he had given and live among them. And in that, in the same time, to trust that he would provide in the midst of that curse. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. It's an amazing foreshadowing of the one who is to come. Do you see that? So what happens? As if it wasn't bad enough. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said that in your life? Like, could one more thing go wrong? And then like the washer breaks, the dishwasher breaks. Um, like your child projectile vomits across the room. We, could, we have so many situations in our lives where we feel like we're taxed beyond belief, and then we, one more thing happens. This is where we find Elijah and the widow right now in this story. So what happens? Her son grows ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. Elijah takes the boy to the upper room and cries out to God, stretches himself three times over the boy's body. It says that he actually breathes into the boy. You can imagine a foreshadowing of God breathing the breath of life into something that's dead. Cries out to God, and God heals the boy. Raises, he, the boy dies, actually. So it's not, the story gets worse and worse. Elijah, through the power of God, because God listens to him and because God works through him and because God is good, raises this boy to life.
We can skip ahead to 1 Kings 18, 1 to 2. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Three years has passed. Elijah's been living with the widow. They've been sustained miraculously by bread that has not run out and oil, just a little bit left, that has been miraculously provided. The word of the Lord comes to him again. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to this wicked king who has every reason to kill him the moment he sees him and presents himself before him. We're going to have to like, you ever watch Micro Machines? Did, did anybody have Micro Machines? Do you remember the commercial with the Micro Machines guy? I'm speaking to a certain generation right now. And he was like the uh, speed talker. And he could like, Micro Machines. And he just like, he could talk. We're going to have to do that through scripture right now because I've already gone a little bit over and there's way too much awesome stuff to go through, but we would be here for a long time. So I want to kind of take a bird's eye view, fly over some major biblical stories. Let's hope this works out. Um, One of the most amazing parts of this story we're going to spend a very little amount of time on. Go back and read it. It's amazing. And that's Elijah and the prophets of Baal, right? God's word comes to Elijah and says, I'm going to send rain on the land. But there's some steps in between there. First, you're going to have to call a WWF smackdown with 850 prophets and gather a whole nation. And you're going to have to trust me in that. What stuck out to me in a lot of this text was God's word, when it comes, sounds crazy. Who in their right mind would present themselves to a wicked king that he just stood against and then say, here's what we're going to do. You think your God is in charge? We're going to find out. Gather all the prophets that you have, 850 of them. You prepare an altar. You know, we'll take two fatted calves. You take one, you slaughter the animal, you put it on there, but don't light the fire. Pray to your God, and I'm going to do the same thing. You can go first. I'm going to do the same thing, but for my sacrifice, Elijah, what I want you to do is get tons of water. I think it was three jars of water, like big, imagine big jars And just pour it over the sacrifice so that the trench that surrounds the altar, that that was filled with water. The God who answers by fire, that's the God we're going to follow. Crazy. In front of the whole nation of Israel, in front of the, you're talking about like intimidation, 850 prophets, Elijah, stranger, Tishbite, my God is Yahweh. He speaks to the crowd and he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. The God who answers by fire. And the people say, this is good what you've said. Is it? I don't think it is. 
Why does God have to send fire down on a soaking wet sacrifice to raise people to believe in him after all that he's done? Jesus says it's a wicked and adulterous generation that looks for signs like that. They do this. Here's the bird's eye view. They 850 prophets of Baal go for hours. Elijah taunts them, smack talks them like, maybe you should shout louder. Maybe he's hard of hearing. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's away. Like, he's, he's smack talking them. And then it's his turn. He prays to God. Fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice and licks up all the water in front of everybody. And then the people's hearts turn, right? And then Elijah says, don't let the prophets go. All the people's hearts have turned now. Now there's more people on his side than there was previous, right? And he says, slaughter, go kill those prophets. And they do. This is like a crazy biblical scene. This doesn't speak like Sunday school, uh, four years old. They slaughtered 850 prophets. God was angry. He doesn't like, he doesn't like idols in our lives. He doesn't like idols in his people's lives because he knows he is so much better. First Kings 18, 41 to 42. Bird's eye view again. We're flying over this. And Elijah says to Ahab, go, eat and drink, for, is this, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. This is a fervent prayer of Elijah, right? I want you to think about something else, though. Think about being in a land where your whole livelihood depended upon rain falling from heaven so that you and your family could eat. Think about the fact that that rain grew up crops. Think about the fact that that rain provided you water to drink to give your children when they're thirsty. Think about the fact that that rain also provided water and food for the cattle, for the livestock that you would eat and put the meat on your table. That rain is a big deal. And to people who have been without it for three and a half years, imagine the sound of a thunderstorm. God's word never fails. Maybe you're in a place today where, like Elijah, you need to stay in prayer until a promise is birthed into existence in your life. Maybe it's not about your life. Maybe what's on your heart is a friend's life, a husband's wife, a wife's life, a parent's life, a son or daughter's life, a neighbor's life. Wait upon God and pray in secret. 
not for show. This is close the door of your closet, talk to your father who loves you, who hears you, and wait upon him. So we imagine the sound of this thunderstorm, right? Elijah hears it. No one else does. This was a joyful storm. To those that had lost their way of life because the blessing of God had been removed, the rain, the water, the dew, the soil. This was a joyful storm. Water for people to drink. Water for animals. Crops would return. Wheat for the harvest. Pomegranates. I don't know if they're in there, but they could be. Apples, kale, cucumbers, livestock, onions. By the way, we have seven bags of onions, I think. And when you leave, you can take as many onions as you like, right? Grab a bag. They're there. They're fresh. They're delicious. This is like an idler moment where we, when we leave the service, challenge each other to just bite into an onion. And the first one to stop eating it, I'm, we started something. You're gonna... James chapter 5, verses 17 to 18. Here's where we transition. Elijah was a human being. Don't miss that. Elijah was a human being. Elijah was a human being. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for the, on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Elijah was a human being. He was a human being that was taken up in a whirlwind to God. He did not see death. One of two people in the Bible who did not die. Enoch walked with God and was not. Elijah was taken up by God. Chariots of fire, right? Elisha's there like, I want a double portion of your spirit. If you see me when I'm taken up, chariots of fire, Lord. And then I see you. Double portion falls on him. The prophet's mantle, boom, smacks down Elijah's cloak, divides the Jordan. God's spirit just moves, moves him up, comes down, fills Elisha, and that's the way God's spirit works. We don't control it. We pray for the outpouring of the spirit upon our lives. Jesus is the true and better Elijah. The one who was, who is, and is to come. The one who is the Son of God, God in the flesh. Fully human and fully God. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the timeless one. The Word of God, the Logos that spoke at creation and things came into existence. Let there be light, and there was light. There is one true and better prophet of God. The one who only speaks what God speaks. Elijah spoke some of his own words. He was a human. Jesus, it says in John 12, 49 to 50, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. 
I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father told me to say all the time. Jesus is the true and better Elijah who enters history during a dry season of God. 400 years of silence from the prophecy in Malachi 4.5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. 400 years of silence. You're talking about angry husbands and wives. Silent treatment. Anybody who's been in arguments, silent treatment. 400 years of silence from God on the nation of Israel. And Jesus comes in the form of a baby in a manger who only speaks what he hears his father speak every time his mouth opens. God's word in the flesh among us. Jesus is the truer and better Elijah who not only has power over nature, he does. He calms storms, walked on water, turned water to wine. Go, party. Feeds 5,000 people. Feeds 4,000 people, if you're not counting women and children. He is the firstborn over all creation, Colossians 1.15. He was with God in the beginning, Genesis 1.1. The name of God is plural. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, three in one, one God. All things were made through him. All things are held together by him. The very elements of this universe are in his hand. And if he says, break apart, they do. Heaven and earth can rip apart and he can create a new one with the breath of his mouth. Jesus is the true and better Elijah who comes under the curse of sin to redeem those in sin. God sustained the widow, her son, Elijah, through miraculous provision of the flour and oil. Jesus is the bread of life for you and me today. It never runs dry. He is the oil. He sent his Holy Spirit, the oil that fills this jar that is on empty and it will never run dry. The all-sustainer. When he comes into our hearts, it becomes his throne. And he has say. We no longer have say. He has say. Jesus is the true and better Elijah that gave up his life on a cross, so that we could share in his perfect, unhindered life with God. Perfect relationship with God all the time. We have access to, and it's granted unto us, on heaven as it is in earth, because of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. Imagine unhindered relationship with God and others. It's becoming in us now. His kingdom is in this room, in your heart. If you call him Lord, and if that is the tug of your heart today, today is the day of salvation. Don't let another day go by. Today is the day. He's calling. His voice calls. His sheep know his voice because they hear it. The Abba, Father, our name, say your name, Aaron, you're mine. Come, taste and see that I am better. I am greater than anything. And you don't even know how much I love you. This life is yours and mine today through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Jesus is the true and better Elijah that promises, promises, to pour out 
his Holy Spirit on us right here, right now, if we would dare to ask. That's a bold ask of God. I want you to know that when you ask that, be ready. He will have his way in you, and he will speak to you. He will guide you. I pray, let's dare to ask him. Go before, go before the throne of grace today with boldness. What's on your heart? Take it to the throne room. Acts, chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days, we are there. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. I will pour out my spirit, the sound of heavy rain, to a drought lived in body, society, nation, world. I will pour out my spirit, the rain of God that grows crops, that feeds livestock, that covers and protects families that sustains and nourishes a nation, a person, a family. His spirit is that rain. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That gift we are to earnestly desire. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. God is alive and he speaks Let's pray. Father, you're in this place. The cloud of the Almighty rests upon this congregation right now. Have your way. Holy Spirit, We wait expectantly for you to do amazing things through us, more than we can ask or imagine. I pray for the one today here whose heart is tugging. You're tugging them towards salvation. I pray your kindness would lead them, your grace, your warmth, your presence. I pray that you would remove any burden, any obstacle, anything that hinders your spirit having its way in this congregation, in my heart, in the hearts of everyone here today. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who is thirsty come. Draw from the waters of everlasting life. We ask this in Jesus' name and no other name. Amen.